All right, Hebrews 11, this evening be in verses 1 through 6. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not taste death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists And that he rewards those who seek him. Lord. It's no mistake that. Christianity is called our faith. It's the. Very essence of who we are as individuals as people. What we believe. Lord, we, it would be easy to read over these texts and to read about the interesting lives of the people that are involved, but Lord, we want more than that to know why it is that faith is so vital and so important. We want to know why it is, Lord, that you reward those who come to you by faith, and so Tonight, we ask, Lord, that you would teach us these things. You would lead and guide our minds, our hearts. Help us to see these wonderful truths from your word, Lord. In your name, amen. Well, I'd say quite frequently that, you know, chapter breaks and even verse breaks are unfortunate. But I'm not alone this time. This time, Calvin himself said... Whoever made this the beginning of the 11th chapter has unseemingly disjointed the context. So thank you, Calvin, for saying such. But this is one of those places where it's just, it would be more helpful to not have chapter and verse breaks. Listen to how it would read thus. Look, I'm going to start in verse 35 of chapter 10. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, 
but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. You see, flows perfectly together and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to actually break up the context right here. The argument is thus. He's arguing if you throw away your confidence, if you abandon the faith that you have professed and you have embraced and you have believed in, then there is no hope for you. There is no salvation for you. If you shrink back from this faith that you have professed, God says he has no pleasure in your souls. But we are not of those who shrink back because we have this kind of faith. The argument is very powerful. In fact, this is the argument of the entire chapter. If all of these people who we're going to look at, who you all know well, grew and lived and their being was faith in God, if they were saved by the promises that they believed in, how are you going to be saved if you deny the very substance of the things they believed in? Basically, if you're acknowledging they were all saved by their faith, and you turn around and walk away from that faith, what in the world are you going to do? Where are you going to go? How will there be any salvation for you if you turn your back on the one means by which God has given to us for salvation? Now, faith is an interesting thing. I've heard it described in lots of different ways. Somebody would say, you know, here, Brian happened to have a chair here tonight, and I didn't plan this or anything. But if I believe I have faith in this chair... I'm going to go over and sit on it, right? There are certain chairs that I believe I exceed the weight capacity. (laughs) So I don't, or I gingerly set myself down in one of those chairs. Whereas this one here looks pretty sturdy to me. I could go over and just plop right down in it and have no problem. And you might say, well, Pat, that's all well and good, but you haven't done it. So where's the proof of that faith? And of course, it would be in of me sitting down in that chair and proving it, which I'm not going to do right this minute. (laughs) But faith that the Bible teaches is not just that kind of faith. It's not faith in that if you tell me you're going to do something, I'm going to believe and trust in you to do it. This kind of faith that the Bible teaches in terms of our salvation, our redemption, is a faith that we don't have in and of ourselves. It's a faith that we can't muster up. It's a faith that we can't just, ah, doggone, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm just going to believe. In several places, Ephesians chapter 1 is a good place to, pardon me, chapter 2 is a good place to start. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You know the beginning of that passage. God is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with him. But verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. That includes everything, the grace, the faith. It's not of your own doing. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
The faith that we have is a gift from God. I don't know how many times where I have talked with people. In fact, it just was in my class. I just finished up a Christian worldview class. And one of the people in that class was a a teacher. And she was coming back and wanted to learn a few things. And she was an agnostic, her own admission. And I, at one point, was going back and forth with her about things of salvation and the gospel. And at one point, she said, I just can't believe the things you're saying. And of course, my answer was, I know. I, I know you can't. You will, you will never believe it on your own. You will not be able to do this. It is a gift from God. God has to grant you eyes to see and ears to hear in order for you to come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes, Therefore we have this ministry by the mercy of God, and we don't lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. No tap dancing around, just straight truth, straight word of God. It's why we do what we do. I'm not clever enough to come up with underhanded ways. I just say what I think, and I'm really appreciative that Paul says, this is the ministry of the word of God. And what we call as ministers of the word of God, you too, is to believe the words of God, not just the words of us. And so in that light, in that vein, he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for his sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So two distinct peoples that he's speaking to. One has a veil and can't understand, can't believe, can't comprehend the things he's preaching. But the other group of people, God has shown, as it were, light into their hearts to give them the knowledge of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has given them the ability to see, perceive, hear, and believe the truths that Paul is preaching. There's some who not, some who can't. And for all of us, there was a point in time where we couldn't believe either until God had intervened and had done something within our hearts to give us the ability to believe the truths of the gospel. In Philippians, in chapter 1, he says, Only let your manner, verse 27, of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side 
for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. You see, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of you for your salvation. And that's from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in this same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. People will constantly oppose us, right? That's part of the heart of the book of Hebrews is opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of this opposition, Paul here says that it proves two things. One, your opponent's destruction. But two, your salvation. Because God has granted to us not only to suffer for his namesake, but the faith to believe in him through the persecution that we're enduring. Through the hard times that we go through. Through the difficulties that life has for us. So back to our text. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of, not, of things not seen. This faith here that he's giving us is given to us by God himself. So when he says about your faith in Hebrews chapter 6. That if you know all these things, you see all these things, you've experienced all these things, and yet you turn your back on God, there is therefore now no repentance for you. What he is in essence is saying is you've experienced all of these spiritual benefits, but God has not given you the gift of faith to believe in it. Therefore you, when you abandon this, there's no hope for you. And he goes on to say, but beloved, concerning you, we believe that you have salvation and that you have been given repentance, right? Again, in chapter 10, we just looked at it a couple of weeks ago about those who fall away and trample the Son of God and his blood underfoot. The point is, is that they experienced all of these wonderful blessings within the context of the church, but faith wasn't there to apprehend those truths And therefore they turned and left and abandoned the church. And there's no hope for those people. So here he gives us a definition of faith. Now, this is not intended, I think, by the writer to be a technical dictionary definition. Okay? What he's doing here is he's describing faith based upon the argument that he's already been giving. So it's based upon everything that he's already said here in the book of Hebrews. So first of all, faith is, number one, the assurance of things hoped for. Okay, the whole reason why people were abandoning the Hebrew church is because they didn't have this assurance of things hoped for. They looked and said, this right now is too hard, and I'm not sure that that is really true. Therefore, I'm not sure it's worth it to endure. So what I'm going through right now is what's going to determine where I'm going to go. And so people say, this is too hard, I'm leaving. Rather than having the assurance, God said that at the end of this, it would be better than it is right now. Therefore, I can stand confident and trust in him. The second thing is the conviction of things not seen. Now, no one has seen God at any time, right? Remember, Jesus tells Thomas there in that 
second time when he came into the upper room where the doors were locked. Blessed are you, Thomas, who having seen, believe, but even more blessed are those who never see, yet still believe. And we do. We are those people who have the conviction of things that we have never seen. Jesus prayed for us in John chapter 17, there in that high priestly prayer. He prays for those who would believe in his name and yet never having seen him. And we are those people who trust in him as such. In Romans chapter 8, there's so much good in Romans 8. Sometimes you skip over certain verses. This is one of those verses that I think, that at least for me, gets skipped over frequently. But he's talking here specifically about creation and creation looking forward to the time of redemption or restoration. So in verse 22, it says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait for eagerly wait, pardon me, for the redemption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. In verse 24, for in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. We don't see that outcome. We don't see that, you know, I believe that I'm going to be redeemed, but I've never seen a redeemed body of any of you. I believe that someday I'm going to be glorified with the Lord, but I've never seen anybody who's glorified. I'm taking it all by faith, and I'm, one of the things that accompanies my faith is patience, endurance, trust, confidence. Our salvation is one that we know one day we are going to be redeemed. We have all confidence in it. We have the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So Paul in Hebrew, or pardon me, in Romans chapter 8 there, is really talking about the faith that the writer of Hebrews is saying here. We believe, we believe, we believe. We've never seen it. In fact, Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, that even if somebody were to come back from the dead and tell us the things that they have seen, that they're not going to believe simply because they've heard those things, because they haven't believed the word of God that's already in front of them, that's already given to them. So it behooves us <laughs> to take this definition and to take what God's word says very seriously here at this point of faith because when we read about these things we realize especially these hebrew believers here this was the thing that they were lacking and we do not want it to be the thing where we end up lacking as well faith belief trust it isn't the i'm gonna sit in the chair kind of faith it is a confidence that all of my life will be saved by my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Verse 2 is really the point of the whole chapter. 
that by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. The point is this, salvation has always been by faith alone. Always. And he goes all the way back to the very, very, very beginnings of everything in order to prove salvation has always been by faith. It didn't change. It wasn't law and now it's faith. Even though these Hebrew believers are flirting with going back to the law. Salvation has always been by faith. This word commendation is interesting to me. It comes up four times here in this particular passage. It means like a word of approval. What we might consider a commendation in our modern American vernacular, modern American culture, is when we give somebody an award for military service. They receive a commendation, right? A particular person we did a funeral for just a while back was an SR-71 pilot, and he had had all kinds of missions. He was a man's man, and he had received two silver crosses, but there was an interesting little note that we got to see there in the middle of that was that he really deserved the Medal of Honor, but because most of his missions were so classified, they couldn't give it to him. Maybe he'll get it posthumously now that he has passed. But that is a commendation. Good job. Job well done. And I think the wordplay here is important because he's saying, good job, job well done on nothing that you have done. Faith and commendation are two things that really don't go hand in hand. The works that we do based upon our faith, we can understand that should receive a commendation, right? Because they're good things that we have done. It's actions I have partaken. But God here is actually saying by faith, people received an attaboy, a commendation. People have received a reward for not having done anything, but simply having trusted in Christ or in the promises that God had given to them. Whether it's especially way back in the very beginning, shadows and types. And as history progressed more and more and more, people would see the wholeness thereof. But they lived by faith. But they received commendation for something they didn't even do. In fact, God had to give them the thing that they needed to do in order to get commended by or get commended for. This is one of those things that makes Christianity so different and so unique from all of the other world religions. We don't believe that you can do anything for your salvation. We don't believe that you can do anything in order to make yourself more right before God. We believe that we simply trust that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for us is the means by which we are saved. We are wholly trusting in something we have absolutely no part in and can't change and can't do anything. Now, one of the things that, that I hear often, especially when you know, dealing with little kids or babies who've passed, is the parents will say something along the lines of, I just wish I could have done something. There was just nothing that I could do. And there wasn't, there isn't. That time just comes for everybody. 
But the truth is, is that our salvation is that very same thing. And there are a lot of people that believe about salvation. I just want to do something. And so they go and they do things and they'll create. And oftentimes they're available to you. Big, huge religious systems for you to go and perform all kinds of works so that you can be satisfied. You did something for your salvation. But that is the opposite of what scripture teaches about our redemption. Is that it is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Christ alone. Our commendation is based on our doing nothing except trusting. At the end of it, when we stand before the throne of God, our commendation will come, well done, good and faithful servant, because we've simply just trusted him to provide everything for us. We say on that day, I'm only saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This word faith comes up 21 times in this chapter. 21 times. Faith, 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 faith. So it helps and is going to help for us to have this definition that we've just looked at, which is why I've spent so much time on these first two verses, because this is what we want to have in mind going forward. It's been easy for people to have gone through this passage and to have looked at the works that these people do and somehow have attributed greatness spiritually to these people in and of themselves. But the fact of the matter is the excellence of these people, however excellent anyone ever appears in this chapter, their worthiness and their value, their glory that they may have, only comes from their faith, not in the actions they perform. That's what God says here. The people of old were commended by, or pardon me, because of their faith, not because of any of the works that we see. So first thing, verse three. We understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. None of us were there creation. As much as we want to look to science and science say, oh, we can go back to the inktinks nanosecond of, create, of the Big Bang and we can tell you exactly what happened there in that moment. The truth of the matter is nobody was there at that moment. We all, by faith, believe things were created. We believe things were created by the word of God according to what scripture says. That God spoke, let there be... And then there was everything that he spoke into existence. In Job chapter 38. Now Job here, he's an interesting case study. He believed God. He performed all kinds of rituals and all kinds of works. In fact, he believed and trusted in God so much that when he was worried that one of his children had committed sin, he would go out and sacrifice on behalf of his children. He really trusted God. Then God took everything away from him via a permission to Satan and him being allowed to torment Job. And at the very end of that whole experience, Job, of course, complains quite a bit. Um, His friends complain quite a bit. There's one guy in there who comes along and kind of is the voice of reason there towards the end. But then God shows up. And when God shows up, he basically blasts Job. Which is not kind of the thing that you, your gut would say, eh, shouldn't you treat him with some 
soft, delicate hands there, Lord. (laughs) But he is God, and he doesn't owe Job or anybody else anything. And so when God shows up, God says to Job, Who is this who darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. First thing that he asks Job, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Oh, surely you know. Wow. God shows up and just lays right into Job. And Job's gone through a lot at this point. But the point that Job needs to be reminded of, and he eventually gets to, is that I spoke in words that I had no understanding of. I was sitting there questioning the Lord through all this, and in the reality, God had all kinds of things going on, and he was doing his good and glorious will. And here I am talking about woe is me, woe is me, when God Almighty is accomplishing his perfect plan and his perfect purposes. And so Job puts his hand over his mouth. And we're reminded that by faith, We believe the universe was created. By faith, we believe a completely and entire different form of creation than not only all other religious systems, but that science tells us happened. We believe something different. We believe something different. We believe the word of God, and we believe the world was created by the word of God. Now, it doesn't necessarily make us antithetical or opposed to science. In fact, I would argue that what we believe is actually corroborated oftentimes in science and that science does have an objective and an agenda, which oftentimes gives us a different perspective. And that's what people believe in this world, that evolutionary theory and the like. But God has in creation, he has given us a knowledge of him. It isn't just raw creation that we believe, but we also believe that within that creation, God has revealed himself to us. Verse 19 of chapter 1 of Romans says, What can be known about God is plain because God has shown it to people. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, are clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. But of course, we know what happens is that people suppress that truth in unrighteousness, and even though they can see it, they can perceive it, they can know it, it is not enough for them to believe in and trust in so that they might have salvation. But we do. We, by faith, believe the truths that the Bible tells us. And we believe these truths because it is what God's word teaches us. And God has given us the faith to believe in and trust in his word. Verse 4, by faith, Abel. It's interesting that Adam and Eve aren't included in here. I don't know exactly why, so I'm not going to try to speculate, just noting that they're not. But verse 4 says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, 
He still speaks. Now, of course, this appears in Genesis chapter 4, where we have the first instance of murder in the scriptures. Cain, Abel came together to offer offerings to the Lord. Cain came and he offered grain, and Abel came and he offered an animal from the flocks. We're not, I don't think we can make a dogmatic case that it was the specific gift that was offered which made them commended to the Lord, made Abel commended to the Lord, but it was the faith by which he came. In 1 John chapter 3, First John 3, for this in verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Cain came and he murdered his brother Abel after his sacrifice was rejected by the Lord. In Proverbs in chapter 15, Proverbs actually says this in several places, but I'll just pick chapter 15 for right now. It says in verse 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is acceptable to God. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But he loves him, God loves him, who pursues righteousness. So the sacrifice of the wicked, the way of the wicked, is an abomination to the Lord. He goes on to say that the Lord doesn't even hear prayers of those people who are an abomination in the terms, terms that they are not following after the ways of the Lord. They're not trusting in him. They're trying to come by their own means and their own ways. This is how Cain came. Faith was only exhibited by Abel, even though they both brought a sacrifice, which is interesting because it just shows us there are a lot of religious people out in the world. There are a lot of religious people that will go and do and offer all kinds of things, but we find here only Abel's sacrifice is accepted because he comes by faith. We saw in 1 John his deeds were righteous, but why were his deeds righteous? Because of the faith that he had in trusting in the promises of God. You see, the faith is the foundation of any good deeds that can possibly come, any righteous deeds that can possibly be worked. They have to be worked by faith, otherwise they are not good works. Even though those two works might be very similar, two people coming and offering sacrifices. Offering sacrifices to the Lord. Offering sacrifices in a way that we see consistent with Scripture. A grain offering and an sa- animal sacrifice. That you see the sacrifice in and of itself isn't the issue at all. It isn't the works that are done. It's the faith that is the foundation or what is behind the action being done. God commended Abel by accepting his gifts. No work is accepted by God unless it is preceded by faith. 
No work is accepted by God unless it is preceded by faith. We can do all kinds of wonderful good things. In fact, I ask this question oftentimes when I'm talking with people. So I'm at another Bible study here in town, and somebody brings up the fact that, you know, feeding the homeless people, and we need to take care of the homeless people here in town because it's a good work. And I immediately say, why is it a good work? What makes it a good work? And that just grinded everybody's gears like I had shifted into reverse. What? What? And the implication was they all heard me say, it's not a good work to take care of the homeless. When I was saying, why are you saying it is a good work? Defend that. What's the basis for that? What's the reason why you're saying it's a good work to help out this particular people group? What's the reasoning? And it was very difficult to get an answer. The answer was basically, well, because it's a good thing. And I would say, and I did there in that moment, I would say, if that's the reasoning, then it's not good. If it's good, it's because we believe God has told us in his word that we're supposed to take care of the poor. And I'm doing it out out of not only an act of well-being for my fellow human, I'm loving my neighbor as myself, but more importantly, I'm loving God and I'm trusting him that his word says that I should do this based upon my faith in him. So it's my faith in Christ that should lead me to this thing. If it's good works for good works sake, it's not good. No work is accepted by God unless it is preceded by faith. And through faith, though he died, he still speaks. He has this unique position here. Where even though Abel had been killed and had been murdered... His faith still screams throughout the centuries. Here we are looking at this book of Hebrews, which was written thousands of years after the fact. And here we are thousands of years even more after the fact of this book being written, still looking back at the single individual, Abel, who by faith offered a sacrifice so, 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 so long ago. And yet he is still being commended because of the faith he had in the promises and in the plan and purpose of God. Now I'm going to stop here right now because I have much more to say on 5, 6 and we'll get to that there next week. But suffice it to say, as we leave here and we go out, our goal is always to know Jesus better and love him more than we did when we came in. In this context, what we should hope to find is that our faith is strengthened because we see what faith is first of all and that our faith was a gift from God. And that when we go out and we do good things throughout the week, taking care of our kids, loving our husbands and loving our wives, being a good employee, employer, being a good student, being faithful in the little things, as it were. In doing life, what we want to do is remind ourselves regularly and continually, God, thank you so much because I can't even eat and I can't even drink to the glory of you unless I'm doing it by faith. And so we can do all of those things by faith. The simplest, most mundane things, stopping at a red light when it's red, you can do by faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as an act of worship. 
You see, our whole lives are consumed by faith. And this and this alone is what is going to bring to us a commendation one day. Not the good things that we do, but the good things that we do that are founded in, rooted in, and have that foundation of faith and trust in God our Savior and Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we come to a study like this and this word faith that is big and has an entire world view behind it, Lord. And we pray that you would help us just to simply live out this next week and to just walk out of here, Lord, with our faith strengthened. Like those disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. We need that. We need it regularly. We need it routinely. We need it often. But Lord, more importantly, we ask and pray that you would be glorified as we worship you, as we live lives of faith, joy, and peace and confidence in you and your good work, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.